Welcome to another episode of our SaaS Stories podcast. I'm your host, Ash, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Juan, an experienced IT channel leader who, tr- who is driving the force behind Mindmetrics. Juan is an accomplished IT channel leader with a wealth of expertise in sales, consulting, marketing, research, and insights. With a strong background in corporate leadership and go-to-market GDM strategy building, Juan has led sales organizations to success, understanding, and nuances of channel partners' needs and the intricate partner ecosystem that drives revenue growth for vendors. Equipped with SaaS experience, Juan is well-versed in selling platforms and products that supports partners' programs. High skill set extends to segmentation, development, channel partner recruiting, and effective partner GTM strategies along with true partner marketing tactics. A true motivational executive, Juan excels in driving enterprise technology vendor growth through both direct and indirect sales processes. He thrives on building hands-on relationships, assessing program effectiveness, and steering overall company success. So, I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Juan, welcome to the show. Hi, Ash. It's great to be here. Glad, glad to be with you. Right. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share with us? Yeah, actually, I I have a, a favorite author. It's Mark Twain, and he is as sarcastic as anything. But he, he did say at one point that 20 years from now, you'll you'll be more disappointed by the things that you don't do than by the, the ones that you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, and discover. So anyway, that, that sort of motivates me uh, you know, as a, as a business person. And, uh, I don't know. I like, I like his, I like his, uh, writing and I like his quotes. So perfect. That sounds good. I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, so tell us about, uh, mind metrics and what does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Yeah, Wine Matrix is uh, is an interesting organization. We we got started in the '90s, and uh, it was started specifically to to do some some things around marketplace. Didn't necessarily exist in the phraseology at the time, but it was building something akin to a to a marketplace. And as that as that process evolved, and as the technology industry kind of moved forward. It, it started to embrace this idea of partnerships, which is uh, companies working with other companies to sell on their behalf. And the thing that happened at the time was that uh, Mind Matrix sort of recognized that what they were doing uh, allowed them to kind of step into this, this idea of how do I support that relationship and all of the things that need to be done to allow those relationships to be successful. And so uh, we built out this partner relationship management software, which helps organizations to manage and execute the operational side of those partnerships. And then also a partner marketing automation uh, and partner sales automation platform that in essence basically is is allowing the channel sales and the channel marketing people to 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 effectively move things through channel partners to to sell revenue on a vendor's behalf. Interesting, interesting. So um, I'm not sure if you have been uh, in touch with my podcast before, but I have recently interviewed someone someone from K1 Consulting. His name is Andrew, um, and he also mentioned about channel consulting. And uh, being into startup space for a while and doing lots of founders, um, this is very intriguing for, for founders like us because normally we don't come across partnership strategies when we launch startups or, you know, until we grow it to a space where we get now A rounds or B rounds for the, for the investments. So would you, would you like to share some 
more details on how actually this particular strategy helps small or potentially big startups uh, which would like to, you know, either incorporate this strategy into their business model or a mini model or potentially, you know, think about it in, for their future. Yeah, actually, there's a there's a really there's a really great um, view on this, and it's that when you when you build a sales organization, you have direct sellers, okay, and you hire a direct seller. They sell on your behalf. They bring in deals. They they're able to be successful or not successful. Well, when you when you start to sell using the channel or partnerships basically it's it's putting an entire organization's sales department behind you you can never hire enough direct sellers to offset just having an entire organization's sellers look out for opportunities for your products and services and mm -hmm. so uh, the thing that happens is that as as organizations move from early stages into more of the, you know, the second stage of their existence, they start to realize that they want to scale up their revenue faster than they're doing. And almost every case, what they, what they land on is that they need to start to recruit channel partners that can, that can move and sell and align to them and sell on their behalf. And so what, what ends up happening is they go in and they say, okay, we're going to start up this partner program. And they might have a really great technology, uh, but basically they get these folks to actually start to pay attention to them, to get some mind share, to, to start to pay attention to them as they come across their deals and things like that. And so they, they typically get one or two of them to start to do that really effectively. And as the programs evolve and as they get better at what they're doing, they move from a couple of partners that are able to before them to, to a situation where it jumps and suddenly they, they go from having one or two that can, that they can manage through spreadsheets or by personal relationships to 15 and to 20 partners and to 25 partners. And, and it instantly, almost instantly becomes a situation where now they've got a choice. Either they're going to have to hire more people just to manage those folks, or they're going to have to actually bring in automation that allows them to manage the overall relationship. And the platform that we're bringing to the table actually solves that problem of scale. Right. Got it. Got it. And, and I want to, I want to pick up um, on the, you know, the story behind how actually my metrics, uh, uh, begin its journey but before picking up onto that i would like to understand more let's say for example um if my metrics uh, has uh, you know uh, ideal customer profile how would you define that profile yeah the the ideal customer profile for my matrix is really interesting because it it spans from the the organizations that might have 10 to 15 or 10 to 20 partners, which typically from a revenue standpoint, they're sitting on 50 million in revenue, hundred million in revenue. That's about the point that seems to trigger these ecosystems. But uh, we support organizations that are in the billions. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this goes from how do you scale from the smallest of partnership ecosystems all the way up to the organizations that have tens and hundreds of thousands of partners mm -hmm. and uh the the software that we provide actually allows that entire motion to be to be um coordinated gotcha gotcha so is it something similar to so it's just come to my mind that uh, there i i used to um integrate a software called Salesforce back in the days. Um, do you guys also like, you know, integrate with them or is it one of your competitors? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Actually, we don't compete with 
Salesforce. Um, in fact, typically speaking, when organizations come into this type of process, they before they reach the point that they start to realize they need an uh, need a software like this, they they've done a few things. They've integrated a CRM. They typically have some sort of uh, they might have a direct marketing motion in play. Um, and then they've got, you know, typically one or two other soft pieces of software that manage like their quoting or that manage, um, in some cases, some of the sales function like that. The way that we approach the world is actually that if you've got something that works well, leave it in place. Okay. For instance, the, your CRM, we don't look to replace your CRM. What we look to do is actually integrate it into our system. Mm -hmm. So we, we never compete with Salesforce, but what we do have is a, a, a native integration into Salesforce so that we've got bi-directional syncing that goes on back and forth between the, the partner platform that allows people to interact with partners sell through partners, generate deals through partners. And that, that whole motion sinks back to Salesforce and then Salesforce motions sink back into the partner relationship management platform so that the two things work together. And what you're doing is you're, you're creating what in effect is a single pane of glass mm -hmm. for anything that's related to sales. If that's related to partner led sales, um, marketing, you know, partner led marketing, uh, so that you've got the ability to kind of do it all from one portal, all from one place, which increases the engagement from both the sellers, uh, your direct sellers and the, the partnerships that are selling on your behalf. Got it. So basically Salesforce is not your competition. It's, it's, it's a, it's a giant organization who with you actually integrate to make businesses seamlessly integrated with data as well as their partnership programs. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, you know, sell, Salesforce, for instance, doesn't have a really robust marketing engine. And one of the, one of the layers of our platform actually provides a, an ability to, to market both to partners through partners, with partners, and for partners, so that the automation can engage these channel partners in whatever level that they're comfortable with and with whatever interaction or engagement that they want to have with the vendor that's supplying the software itself. And then in addition to that, actually, um, we, have, we have a marketing automation layer that sits on the Salesforce marketplace um, that allows people to plug our software into their Salesforce instances. Got it. Got it. So, so let's let's talk a little bit about the history of Mind Metrics and how. Tell us about um, how the story actually began. What's what's uh, what's the starting point? What was the idea? How how it got triggered? And then you create. Uh, your your um, organization came up with this idea, and then they created this software for for enterprises. Yeah, I mentioned I mentioned that it you know it it happened around in the '90s. They they started out with this thing that they call Solve IT, and it's it's for solve it, and it was it was really just a solution a solution marketplace, and from there. Uh, they they started to recognize that this that this channel ecosystem or this channel organization was was emerging and that they needed to that they need to support it in some way. When you look at the the providers of these types of software, um, they almost always have a genesis in one of two areas. They either have a genesis in the partner relationship side of things, which is really managing the operational components. And it's, it's sort of like the, the learning management systems and they manage the certifications and they manage the deal registrations and things like that. 
Um, alternatively, the, the other providers that have found their way into this space have a genesis in the channel marketing. Uh, originally, it was called TCMA through channel marketing automation. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it's sort of evolving into this partner marketing automation because it's not always just through uh, channels. But, but the, the thing that happened with Mind Matrix is that we, we had got our hands on the ability to, to in effect, uh, market to partners, market to organizations and unwind all of the attribute or provide the attribution basically for all of the, the marketing that goes on in that space. And for us, given that we were as good as we were at the, at the through channel marketing automation, it only made sense to add in the other PRN. So, you know, several years ago, it was in kind of the early 2000s, we added that in and then we've been evolving that ever since. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in, in, in essence, what we, what we've done is we sort of solved three, three layers. It's that partner operations problem, the partner marketing problem and the partner sales problem. And, uh, it's in the, it's been interesting. I mean, there was, there was sort of a, there was sort of a tipping point about 10 years ago where, where things kind of stabled up for a while. And then in the last year or two, there's been a, there's been a real voice towards this idea of um, channel ecosystems and it's basically channel partners selling with other channel partners, vendors selling with other vendors, having alliance partners in that whole mix. And more recently, all of the development and the, the feature additions that we system have to do with how to support this ecosystem sort of disrupted this type of motion basically awesome and this 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 tells me that um mind matrix is already somewhere around 30 ish years old or 25 yeah yeah we 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 sort of posted up as 25 years old and and it's 25 plus that year yeah awesome awesome so can you give us a sense of the size of the business? Where are you, where are you in, in terms of number of customers or size of team? Yeah, actually, I mean, we've got, we've got quite a lot. Um, it, the organization overall sits at about 300 people, about half of the, half of them are developers that are writing new features and, and supporting the software itself. Um, the other half are a mix of the client success folks. We've got a big client success team that sits in the United States um, that manages the the client success operation. Uh, there's there's a group of us that are either on the partnerships or business development or sales organizational side of things. Uh, we're headquartered out of out of Pittsburgh, um, but our pretty evenly distributed between uh US and outside of the US actually. Perfect. Perfect. And and just out of curiosity, because you know, it, it is growing up into the industry that a lot of companies are now moving towards remote working, you know, um um practices. Are you guys also following that or is it something in you know process or what I have thoughts on It's a it's a real blend. Um I'm I'm actually out of the Phoenix area. Our headquarters are actually in Pittsburgh. We've got a lot of development resource and, and folks that are working outside of the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them are in really defined offices because the, the motion of them working together works out. The innovation happens uh, with, with those developers more effectively mm -hmm. when, they're, when they're together, uh, at least for that group. Um, but the the headquarter location tries to make a point of getting together a couple of times a week actually in the office in Pittsburgh. And so they try to bring as many of the folks in to that office as they can. Uh, and it, you know, it really has turned into a blend for us all. Uh, I make it into the office as often as I can. It has a tendency to be about quarterly. So, yeah, I, and I can totally relate to that because this has become a new way of, of working for all of us, you know, because, um, it's just more productive, more, 
as you mentioned that you know innovation happens when you work in a team live together um, but it also gives you more time when you're working from remotely maybe once or twice a week or maybe other way around you know um, it just helps great stuff so I want to dig into dig into your uh, you know competitors who are there in the market but before we dig into that I would like to know more about you personally. Uh, you know, okay. how did you get into mind metrics? And before that, actually, how was where were you were born? Where were you brought up? How did you got into you know channel consulting space? Because that's something very very niche from <laughs> a founder's perspective. Uh, and what actually motivated you from your either your childhood or your you know young? Uh, you're still young, but you know like previous life where you have learned something and you say, oh, that's something I'm interested in. I want to do it. Like, you know, that, that, that's what I love. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I, so I've been in leadership positions for most of my career. Uh, if you go back far enough, I was raised in Idaho, uh, in the U S and aside from, aside from raising potatoes, uh, growing potatoes, which is a real thing, by the way. Um, we, there's not a lot going on. There was a, a nuclear waste storage facility, uh, near my hometown. And, uh, when I graduated with my master's degree, I've got a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in sociology. And I graduated with my master's degree and I looked around and I you don't want to put me in charge of storing nuclear waste. Mm. That's not something I'm particularly good at. That's an accident waiting to happen. And yeah, oh, we moved moved from Idaho to the thriving metropolis of Salt Lake City. And uh, we we lived in Salt, outside, just outside of Salt Lake for quite a few years. And uh, while I was there, uh, because of my background in research and uh, from my from my psychology and sociology degree, I stepped into research positions. Um, and so I was managing data. I was doing statistical analysis. I was creating research. Um, I uh, at one point I was I remember it pretty clearly. I was in my first role, and we were in Austin at a client's at a client's organization and I was with the, the president and CEO of the company at the time. And he had said a couple of things in this meeting that, uh, that sort of pissed the, the client off. And, and I stepped in, saved this guy from making a fool out of himself, help the client, you know, figure out the answer to the questions that they were, they were asking. And it turned into a really great meeting. Um, when we dropped the CEO off at the office and I was, I was probably three or four years into my career there with this, with this organization, we dropped him off at the airport. He turned to me and he said, thank you. I'm giving you a promotion. You are now a VP with my dad. And held on to that from that point onward and, uh, Ended up, you know, heading up, a, a, I was the president of a research company after that. And, and when it, when it sort of ran its course, I, I had done some stuff with, with PE companies as uh, a VP in one of their organizations and some things. And when that all ran its course, I looked around and I said, I, I think I'm ready to get back into, um, I'm ready to get back into research. And so I found this company, this company called B channels, who incidentally has been since purchased by the channel company. They, uh, I I went in to head all of their U S research and consulting business. And the first thing that happened, it was, it was probably 10 or 12 years ago. The first thing that happened is they said, we've got this thing. It's called the channel and you need to start doing research on the channel. And I, and I went, what is that <laughs> to a tech company? And, uh, over the course of my time there, I managed to learn a lot about the channel. I did a lot of channel consulting with uh, big enterprise billion plus organizations, on what their partner programs 
look like and things. And during that time, I, I moved from being the head of their U.S. to their global head of research-based um, consulting and then into the chief revenue officer role. And uh, while, while I was the chief revenue officer, we sold the business to the channel company, got in there, looked around, and they already had a chief revenue officer. Uh, okay. <laughs> how a situation like that might go down. And so we integrated our global sales team and uh, took the package and found my way into Mind Matrix. And it was because I knew the CEO and I and I really, really believed in what they were doing. They had started to get a lot of momentum and they were doing some great innovation. And, it's, and I've been here since and it's been a blast amazing i mean i love the story you mentioned about you know when your when your ceo told you on the airport you're promoted that's amazing <laughs> it was you know i was in my early 20s when it happened actually managed to hang on to it ever since so weird that block it gives me it's give me some thought it it gives me some few of the same like do you still think that being a leader, because, you know, a lot of founders I speak with, uh, not all of them have this leadership quality into them, right? This is, I'm not saying that you want with a leadership quality, but at some point in life, you have to learn things, which, you know, gets you into the position where you feel and you build a team and then you make sure that you lead them by helping them and nurturing them. So do you, do you think that, a part of your childhood or a part of your um, re, uh, brought up has some kind of lessons or teachings from a natural way, either from your parents' side or from your friends or surrounding, which actually, which actually gave you an advantage to learn that leadership. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It has, and I, I can, I can tell you exactly what it is. Actually, my. My dad was a blue collar guy. Um, I was the first of my family to, on his side, to get a college education. Um, he had come to the United States from a different country to live the American dream. And uh, the thing that he had going for him, he, he had been a, a, a blue collar guy in the country that he came from. And the thing I've learned, I learned two big, big things from him. The first one is that you've got to work your butt off to succeed. And there's, you know, people can't ignore you if you're a hard worker. The second one is, is, and it's actually one of the biggest, the biggest things that have, have really, um, supported my career. It's that you need to be the most obvious solution, and that th that doesn't happen by accident. Mm. Okay. Um, if if someone has a problem to solve, and you're the most obvious solution, regardless of whether you they whether you can solve their problem or not, they'll go to you and say, "Hey, what do you know about this thing?" Mm. and tell them well i know this about it and by the way this product that i'm working on solves that problem or they'll also they'll also come to you if you don't know and say what do you know about this and you can say i i i don't know but i know this guy over here and he he'll be able to answer your problem because it relates to this thing that you're that you're asking about and in both cases, working hard and being the most obvious solution to the problem, it's just going above and beyond to make sure that you're successful and that your leadership is successful in what they're doing. And when you when you're when you manage to work hard and be successful and help them be successful, which is the more important of it, then they'll then ask you you know, for your feedback and you find yourself in those, in those areas where you can be a confidant and a leader in a business. Understood. Mm. Understood. Yeah. It, it, it happens with a lot of us that we have some kind of, uh, you know, um, past, which actually influences us to do something in our current, you know, 
or in in future. So let's let's move one step forward and let's talk more about uh, your current you know um, daily uh, routine stuff. So can you talk about your either your morning or your daily routine, which actually gives you more energy or more substance to make or streamline your decision-making process? Yeah, I, it's interesting. I am not a morning person and you hear all about how leaders are morning people, but I just am not. I love, love to sleep. I mean, it, it is, it is what it is. I love to sleep. So, but, but I do, I do take, you know, I'm, I'm in the Pacific time zone and I've been working with people all over the world for most of my career. And so part of that is just being flexible enough to actually take calls in the morning, take calls in the evening and and at the same time, maintain your work-life balance in a way that allows you to stay energized about things that you're doing. Every, every organization that I've been involved with, I've only been concerned about being able to make a work-life balance and that, um, if I can do that, I can stay energized towards the goals that I'm trying to accomplish and that I can, that I can actually make a difference for the business. And what that looks like, um, in each organization is slightly different, but, uh, it's, it's for me, um, it's not a rigid schedule. It, it becomes sometimes I'm online at 6 a.m. for meetings. Sometimes that at eight or nine, you know, last night I worked till about seven in the evening, uh, because I was in the flow of something that mattered to me and that I was passionate about. And I just continued on and looked up and it realized what time it was. So it's, <laughs> it's, get energized and find something that you can be passionate about. And it, when those two align, then you manage to make a real difference. Indeed. Indeed. Perfect. I mean, sometimes, you know, you're working on something and you just get into it so much. You just, you just forget about the time or forget about what's happening around you because you just keep focusing on things and focus is, uh, I guess focus is one of the most precious things nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, sometimes things that you have to do just really suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is what it is. And you're asked, sometimes you're just asked to do things that you just don't want to do. But if you, if you can kind of find a good way through them and produce a good product as a result of it, then you can move on to the things that you are more passionate about and that you are, that you enjoy more than the things that you were just doing. So recognize that changes and that if you get through it is, is really valuable for me. Yeah, definitely. And I can, I totally relate to you because in my previous places where I worked, I was in a few leadership roles and, and the most boring job I had to do every six months was is this things called, um, media reviews for your peers. Oh my God. <laughs> it's brutal. <laughs> that that for me that is one of the worst you know and it's so it's so beneficial to to the folks that you that you're doing those with but boy at the same time they're brutal to put together and they're so time consuming but yeah really necessary uh for their own leadership development boy Praise that, praise that. Okay, great. So let's 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 jump on to uh, a little bit more learning more about my metrics. Then, so how does how does um, how do you differentiate the product uh, when competing against the likes of my metrics? Would you like to share a little bit more about it? Yeah, you know, for for us, um, we we just went through our Forester wave, um, and we were found to be one of the most, the most strategic of the organizations that we, you know, that we were compared to, uh, we being really, we ended up with a really strong outcome, uh, really, really did well from a performance standpoint. Uh, what it comes down to for us is that we know that we've got 
a set of features that are all inclusive and robust. And so when we can speak to what those features are and how we have everything that our competitors have plus, then, then we're able to win. And we, we do, we, we have great win rates uh, in our sales process, but a lot of it has to do with, you know, really there are three things in the business that, that we kind of hold dear. The, the first one is that our, our features need to be more than, than others in the same space. The second one is that those features need to be driven by our customer needs. So we're very client centric. And then there's a, there's a piece of this that our CEO injects into many, many conversations and it has to do with that. We need to be a company with a soul mm. and it's funny to be, you know, in today's business environment, to be involved with a, an organization that the CEO is saying, we need to have a soul. We need to do the right thing by our customers and by our employees. Well, mm. when, when you do that, people will stick with you longer. They'll stick with you even if you make a mistake here and there. And that goes not only for your customers, but it goes for your employees. And if you end up with longer tenures on your employees, they just know more. And yeah. so they're, they're, they're able to contribute at the same level as, as the rest of the business. And you just end up with this, this, this expertise that other folks may not have in the business and it, and it makes its way through to that competitive environment, you know, where you're, where you're in a, in a situation every time where you're competing with others. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do like to win. It's the fact that, that your CEO seems like, uh, you know, a man with an integrity and, and, and a person whom you can look at and say, oh, this, this man will do true to me, you know, and that's a big thing nowadays considering a lot of, you know, frauds coming along from a billion dollar startups, you know, uh, here and there, they're faking their numbers, they're, you know, disclosing uh, their growths, which is even not, you know, available on the papers just to get onto the IPOs, etc. So comparing to that, what's happening in the market, this is something brilliant. I mean, getting this from you is one of the, one of, one of the leadership from the company it motivates people who are listening to this podcast. Oh, let's search for mind mattress. I would love to work with this company because, you know, the leadership is so honest and, 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 you know, full of integrity towards their employees as well as customers. So that's fantastic. Yeah. I I've often been accused of being too honest actually. And maybe that's, I, I see that as a good thing. I tell the people around me in my radius, don't ask me a question if you don't want a truthful answer. But, uh, it's, you know, for me that in an, I have, I want to, and I have to be in an organization that is truthful and that is honest and that treats their people in, in good ethical and honest ways. So, mm. and, and I found way into that with mind matrix. Awesome. So, so tell us, tell us in, in your industry then, what, what do you believe is imperative for for a business to succeed and how does your uh, company addresses this need? You know, that's, that's a good question. I mean, in the space that we're in this, um, this conversation around ecosystems and partners working with other partners and vendors working with other vendors, it, as annoying as it is, it's more than just a sound bite. It's the reality of something that's actually happening in the space that we're in. And for us, we, we have to have a good answer to that question. And, and we have to have good features and solutions in play that address the needs that are coming out of that requirement. So. You know, I, that, that may be a slightly turn from a slight turn from what you were looking for, but the, 
the real the reality is for us successful and to to really be relevant long term we need to be more than what we were yesterday and, and we're really focused on on doing that and then again it comes back to being an organization that you can trust right so that so that we we've built the solutions that need to be built the organization that that people engage with is one that they enjoy working with and that they know that we got their back and that we're looking to be uh, to help them succeed and it's all i mean that that might it might just be it might feel a little bit wishy-washy in terms of you know answers to those types of questions but it's thing that we really truly believe in and uh that guides our process every day of our lives that that leads me to thinking that is there a is there a feature in the software which and so basically how do you measure the impact of your solution on your customer's life is there a feature or is there a um analytic yeah, it's funny. I mean, one of the big problems that a lot of organizations have, um, with, there's a lot of money that gets spent on through channel marketing. So the vendors actually spend a lot of money on behalf of the partners in their ecosystems. They'll they'll give them money to market on to co-market, basically market on their behalf and their their partners' behalf the the difficulty that they struggle with when it comes to that type of thing is that they they struggle to understand the return on that investment um one of the features that we provide is actually you know an ability to show the roi on that investment and it's very unique to us um it's something that's not necessarily inherent in other platforms but it's something that exists um the other thing that you could get a feel for our, you know, how effectively people are engaged with the platform. They provide, we provide a portal and the more engaged that partners are with the portal and with these solutions, the, the more they'll drive revenue on your behalf, because really it's, it's all about mindshare it's will the partner sell you or will they sell your closest competitor and if they're engaged with you they're going to sell you because you're providing them with the resources they need to be successful and the the platform that we have unwinds all of that and it can actually talk about the success metrics that get wrapped around all of that and our deals getting registered and our people finding success and are they are they logging in and are they doing the things that will provide success in that engagement in that relationship? Mm. Okay. 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 So as, as we are moving towards the end, I would like to understand a little bit more about, you know, your um, personal um, experiences. So, so tell us throughout your journey and experience, there must have been valuable lessons learned, you know, if you don't mind sharing or reflecting on your experience and tell us about a mistake or a setback that you have encountered along the way, uh, you know, that you might consider a lessons learned or a regret, whichever way. And additionally, what advice would you give our listeners based on this experience? Yeah. I mean, everyone makes mistakes and I think it's, I think it's important to recognize that I, you know, I, I've made mistakes as a researcher you know, when you do that, you're giving people information that uh, that you think is accurate and that may be inaccurate. That you know, in that space, people make multi-million-dollar decisions based on the data that's collected. And and uh, you know, I I I think that for me, it's when you find that you've done that it's being honest about your mistake that you've made and had, and then putting the effort in to actually resolve it, to fix it, to do, to do the things that need to be done to, 
to make that right. And I can think of times, you know, as a, as a researcher and, you know, as a, as a researcher, particularly where you, in retrospect, you think, okay, was that the most unbiased way to, to handle that thing? Mm-hmm. And, and you just, you, you know, you, you kind of want to always make sure that you're very straightforward about where things are. You know, I, I, I can think of, uh, an experience that I had really early in my career where we were doing some political polling for, and, and one of the, the pollsters had us ask this question. Do you think that Bill Clinton is a, is a pot smoking junkie? And uh, <laughs> I was, it was almost literally the question. And in retrospect, I've been a little bit more mature in my career. I think I probably would have passed on that, but you know, at the, at the time you're just, this is what you're told and you just go about it. And, you know, it's just things like that where you think, you know, I, I, I do think that my, my ethical guideline might be more important than, than some other things. And so, uh, you know, most people are really supportive. Leadership's really supportive folks that know they've made a mistake and that will fix it. And I guess, I guess my biggest recommendation there is to, to just be honest in what you're doing and, and then. Well, then go to your leadership with a solution rather than just drop it in their lap for them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I second that. <laughs> so you, so, so your advice is be a good doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Have you boys back that series yet? Better. It's anyway. Yeah. Okay. Wait, so we should wrap up now. Uh, so we should go into the lightning round. I've got six quick quiet questions for you. So, you know, just try answering them as quickly as you can. Okay. You ready? Okay. Great start. Number one, what's one of the best pieces of business advice you have received? Uh, I, th- I think it's, I think it's that find something that you're passionate about and that the business needs. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Uh, what book would you recommend to our audience and why? Boy, I, I think that the, the world is flat was really eye opening for me. And I realized that that is a lot, that one's a, a, a while back, but, uh, but it really opened my eyes to globalization and, and then we're all sort of in this together. Cool. I need to, I need to put that into my next list of reading of the books. Right. So what, what is a bit, uh, is it? Oh, uh, okay. 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 Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind for a successful founder? Uh, one that is that, that you can feel is in it with you. You're mutual, you're mutually committed. It's not, it's not one-sided. That's, that's the biggest one. Perfect. Okay. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? You know, I use LinkedIn a lot. I think, I think it really, I think it really helps. And I am excited this lately. I've been using, um, Google's part probably more than I ever should, but it's solved a lot of problems for me right now. Awful. awful. You you liked it better than um, OpenAI, I guess. ChatGPT. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I'll have to tell you that at one point I actually asked Bard which was better, Bard or or the the GD that sat in the you know that sits on the Microsoft side, and it actually gave me a really honest answer. And then I turned around and asked the same thing of ChatGPT, and it gave me an honest answer. So uh, they taught they they both mentioned which one the other one had strengths at the strengths that I needed were more aligned to the, the barred one than, than the one that sits in the, the chat GPT. And so it's not that I use, I actually do use both of them, but I default to barred because the questions that I answer are more closely aligned to the problems it solves. Sounds good. Great. Okay. 
what's a new or a crazy business idea you would like to pursue if you had the time? Oh, you know, if I had the time, I would do a, I would launch out a partner satisfaction state of the in the state of technology partner ecosystem uh, business. Basically, it's it's understanding how partners view vendors and how vendors view partners and rolling that up into a state of the industry that both parties could use to kind of make decisions decisions on who they'll work with. Mm. Okay. Interesting. And last but not least, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, you know, I once, I one time actually, uh, rode down a water slide on a skateboard in an ice block. That was pretty fun. Um, <laughs> don't know that about me, but it was highly sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you actually do a lot of sports uh, or? Yeah, I, you know, I, I was actually at the first snowboarding um, competition in, in Idaho at, at Grand Targhee. Um, I've been a snowboarder and a board sport advocate for most of my life. So that's, uh, that's, that's another thing that most folks don't know about me. I've got, I've got a little bit of edge more than people realize. <laughs> but now I went through. I still like punk music. Oh, okay. So next, next time I have to catch up with you, I should find out where the punk music live show is going on on a snowboard. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. I don't. And you'll be there, right? <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story and unpacking, you know, decades of building this uh, business with your CEO and some of the ups and downs along the way. Um, if people would like to check out MindMetrics, uh, what's the website? Where should we go? Yeah, it's just mindmatrix.net. Mindmatrix.net. Awesome. And if uh, folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I'm on LinkedIn every day of my life, and I actually connect to just about anyone that wants to connect to me as long as it doesn't look like they're trying to sell to me immediately after I connect to them. So that's a, that's all good way. Awesome. Juan, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your inspiring journey and the impactful work you're doing uh, with my matrix. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on our SaaS Stories podcast. The feelings mutual things, Sash, really appreciate it. Take right. care. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning into this episode of our SaaS Stories podcast. I hope you found our conversation with Juan insightful and inspiring. If you're a founder or industry expert interested in sharing your story on our SaaS podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. Simply email me at ash at artcircles.com and let's connect for a potential interview opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay updated on future interviews with proven founders and industry experts. We have a lineup of incredible guests and valuable insights coming your way. Stay inspired, stay motivated, and keep building. Cheers.